Some of you all recognize this. You get two of these during a football game. Two challenges to replay what just happened, right? Two challenges to replay what just happened. In college football or in, uh, in uh, the NFL, twice a game, you can say, I'm not sure about that. I'd like to replay what just happened. Now, more of you recognize this because you've seen the commercials, right? The commercials where, uh, where the guy forgets the, the life jackets or does something worse, like leaving the, putting the bananas into the refrigerator. I didn't do that. And then it's like, you know, that's horrible, isn't it? You never want to put bananas in the refrigerator. And then it's like, well, I want to challenge that. I, you, you're denying that you did it, but I want to challenge that. I want to replay it. And then it, it usually doesn't go well for the guys in these commercials. You know, it's like that. It's been like that for the last 20 years. Like, it doesn't go well for the guys. Uh, yeah, we're going to replay that. We're going to replay that. And we're going to see what really happened. Well, it doesn't take a spouse. It doesn't take a boss. It doesn't take uh, somebody outside of you to replay and replay and replay. Aren't we our own worst accusers in the quiet? What replays? Is it some guilt from the past? Is it some fear of the future? Is it something that's just happened? Something at work? Something in the news? What are you ruminating on? Ruminating. To ruminate is to dwell, to to go over it again, to replay it again and again and again. Where are you living? In your mind, in your heart. In the quiet, is there peace? Is there peace in your quiet? When it gets quiet, that's often when the replay begins. When the thing that we're dwelling on, the thing we are fearing, the thing, thing that we're concerned about, the thing that keeps coming up again and again, the guilt from the past, the thing that just happened just now, or the fear of the future, that's when it happens. Is there peace in your quiet? We've been looking for the last few weeks at Jesus who fulfills these roles of prophet, priest, and today, king. Well, how do you find more peace in your quiet when the replay begins? The answer, I think we're going to see from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, is, is not to behave more, not to try harder, not to build a sense of self, not to, to make things better, not to push and push and achieve and pile, but to belong, to belong. A central theme in the Christian life, is simply to belong. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2, but Hebrews chapter 2 is really a, an exegesis or a drawing out, an interpretation of another passage, Psalm 8. Hear God's word this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Hear God's word this morning. For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come. Did you hear that? The theme is king, right? Jesus fulfilling king. What is the subject? Someone who's under a king. It was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. Well, this is Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him, for a little while, lower than the angels. You've crowned him 
with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Let me say that again. He left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let's pray. Father, bless us now through your word. Bless us through this word. Not only our minds that we may understand, but our hearts that we may receive. That all through life, we may belong. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there peace in your quiet? How do you find more peace in the quiet? Belong. There it is. That's your sermon. That's the sermon for the day. How do you find more peace in the quiet? By belonging. How do we belong? How? Let's ask the question, how? H-O-W, how do you belong? How do you live life in such a way that you live it with the confidence of a coming kingdom, that you belong to that, that king, you belong to the kingdom? How do you live there? How do you replay that in your mind again and again? The kingdom is coming. How do I live in that for king and for kingdom? How? Well, let's look at the need. Let's look at the challenge. And let's look at the strength of belonging. There's a need to belong. There's a challenge in belonging. But there's a strength. When we work through that challenge, there's a strength in belonging. First, the need. We need to belong. Which means we need to be part of something bigger. We need to be part of the bigger thing. We need to be part of something bigger. To, be, to, to have a sense of peace, like just that, that sense of being in, in an easy chair. You know, that's your place, right? You've got, an easy, you, you've got a place, right? A place, it's your happy place, right? You have a happy place? You got a place that's all set up? Maybe for some of you, it's in the bathtub. You're lighting a bunch of candles. Maybe it's just an easy chair. But here, here, at the beginning of this passage, the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 8. He says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Picture him out under the stars. The grandeur of this. What is man that you're mindful of him? I feel so small. Don't you feel small under the stars? And yet, to feel part of it is the need that gets surfaced when you're standing under the stars and you're saying, what is man that you're mindful of him? There's a need that comes to the surface. I need to be part of something bigger. Not just to be th this this." Uh, quintessence of dust, not just this speck on this, on this ball floating through this vast universe, but to be part of the big thing is the need. That's the need. We need to belong to the bigger thing. We need to. What is man that you're mindful of him? 
And yet, God came near that we might be a part of the bigger thing. You know that need to belong. You know what it feels like. You know that need to just have that place where you, you're just at ease, you're at home, you're in the chair, but to be part of something bigger. I, I, I got introduced to Shaun of the South. Some of y'all are familiar with Shaun of the South. He writes, he writes a, a post almost every day. I think he's written a post every day for the last 10 years. Jay Flowers turned me on to this Shaun of the South, and I've been getting his posts and reading. He's got one called The Library Card. And, and it illustrates what I'm talking about, the need not just to belong, but to belong to a bigger thing. And Sean, Sean didn't graduate, he didn't graduate from high school. In fact, I, I think he dropped out of school after his father died when he was uh, almost in eighth grade. And so the library for him became the place where he became self-educated. He's a great writer, a great communicator, a great, um, a great thought leader. Didn't graduate from middle school. It's pretty amazing. Self-educated. And, and he was at, invited to speak to this convention of librarians. Uh, almost a thousand people in the room. And he had put together his talk. And uh, he knew it needed to be lighthearted. He said he knew it needed to be lighthearted. Um, you know, I mean, you, you get a bunch of librarians together, you better lighten the room. You got to better, I mean, you, you, you better get them, you know, interacting. And, but he, he said, um, he, he just got very emotional. He pulled out his library card and he said, this is my library card. I got uh, from when I moved to Birmingham, I, he moved to Birmingham last spring. And the first thing he did, one of the first things he did was go and get his library card. He said, this is one of the first things I did. He's saying this to the librarians, this national gathering of them. And he began to weep. And he didn't quite understand why. And looking back, he realized that that, re- that was a symbol that represented being part of something bigger, being invited in to the big ideas, being invited in to the rest of his life, being invited in to be part of dealing with life in a way that was part of, of what the bigger conversation was all about. He didn't get to graduate from high school. He didn't get to go to college. He felt less than. And yet, through the library, through his association, through this library card, he had access to the bigger thing. He was part of something bigger. See, we have a need under the stars when you feel small to be part of the bigger thing. What is man that you're mindful of him? But there's a challenge. There's a challenge in being part of the bigger thing. There's a challenge in belonging it's a challenge because you're, you're belonging not just to your easy chair or your bathtub, okay? You're belonging to a person. That's the challenge. The challenge is that it's not all about you. I mean, just belong to a baby crying in the night, right? <laughs> There's a challenge, right? Some of y'all are feeling this. Some of y'all aren't getting very much sleep this season because you belong to this baby's cry in the night just to belong to a baby who has a will of her own, of his own. It's different from the easy chair, isn't it? There's a challenge in belonging. How much more to belong to a king? How much more is the challenge to our own will that it's not all about me? It's not all about you. To belong to a person, to belong to the king of kings, 
is to face a challenge. He crowned him. Verses 7 and 8. You made a little, a little lower than the angels. Look at this again. What is man that you're mindful of him? Son of man that you care for him? But you made him for a little while lower than angels. This is an interesting... So, so this is what's happening in this psalm is it's saying, what is man? What, who, who am I? Man or woman? Who, who is a human being? And then all of a sudden it focuses on one human being, the son of man. Jesus calls himself the son of man 80 times in, in, in the uh, New Testament. Why? Because he's identifying with humanity. So this psalm goes from anybody and everybody to the one person who represents us all. Do you see what's happening? Are you with me? You got to get this. This is a common theme in, in, in all the canon of literature to, to recognize that, that sometimes uh, the, the hero identifies with every man, with everyone, with every person, identifies with them. When Jesus calls himself the son of man, he's saying, I'm just an everyday guy. I'm just a baby born in a manger. I'm just a man uh, riding in on a donkey. I'm just someone who identifies with everyone. son of man. That's Jesus' favorite expression of himself. Why? He was made a little lower than angels so that he could identify with us and fulfill what Adam failed to fulfill. Other places in the scriptures, it calls Jesus the second Adam. You see, in identifying with us and becoming fully human, he was able to do what we didn't do. When Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, they were, they were essentially vice regents, right? They're, they're put over all of creation. But who is over them? You see, as long as we relate in order, as long as we are subject to the king of kings, we can be kings and queens of our life and of creation as long as we have it in that order. But see, when we get it out of order, when we get it out of order, it's hard to be challenged, isn't it? It's hard to be challenged by that baby's cry. It's hard to be challenged by the king of kings who would set your life in order again. I just had to illustrate this with, with this scene that should be familiar to many of you uh, from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when the Pavenzi children who are in Narnia uh, hear about uh, the king of Narnia. They hear about the king of Narnia and they discover something about the king of Narnia, that his name is Aslan, but that he isn't a man. And Susan says, ooh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. A lion. That you will, dearie, make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, asked Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. I'm longing to see him, said Peter, even if I do feel frightened when it comes to that point. 
To be challenged isn't to sit in the easy chair. To belong to a king isn't to be in the easy chair. To, to belong requires a reordering sometimes of your whole ruminating process. What are you dwelling on? Where are you living? Who is sovereign over your life? Let's get that relationship right. I mean, even when you go to a dentist, you know, right? You have a certain role. You have to relate to the dentist. And sometimes relating to your dentist isn't very comfortable, right? And yet, he is good, right? He is good. Sometimes it hurts to save us from harm. Sometimes it hurts for God to save us from harm. It's not easy, you see, to be one of those things in verse 8 that is put in subjection under the feet of the king of kings. But that is the reordering of the kingdom that is necessary for us to belong to the kingdom. That it's not all about me. That it's not all about you. So if we see the need to be part of the bigger thing, if we recognize the challenge, right? The challenge, especially in those areas where there's no peace in your quiet and you're ruminating, you're saying, Lord, come on, let's get this done. Let's get this right. I know what it should be. I'm, I'm worried about it. Uh, I feel guilty about it or I'm afraid of it, whatever it is. So how? How do we belong in such a way that we no longer are dwelling on those fears, those guilt, those, those things that come up, those, those things in the now. Well, to have the strength of belonging is to recognize the kingdom is coming. It's not fully here yet, but you already belong to it. In other words, to have the strength of belonging we need to learn to live in the kingdom now. The kingdom that is coming. When you pray, thy will be done, when you pray, thy kingdom come, you're praying now. Not just when it comes, help me live as a citizen of the kingdom of God now, right now. Verses eight and nine, it says this. Now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. Nothing? well, what a mess. You look around. I mean, you're worried about maybe where the direction of the country, or maybe you're worried about your job, or maybe you're, you're, you're concerned about a relationship, or maybe you're feeling guilty of the past, but you're, you have a fear of the future. And you're saying, everything, nothing is outside of control? It seems kind of out of control right now. Well, then it goes on and answers that question. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You see how it comes together? For everyone. The Son of Man, the Son of God, crowned and yet suffering suffering, dealing with life as it is, as we're dealing with life as it is, and yet with a great promise of things to come. 
But living in such a way, Jesus lived in such a way, we're called to live in such a way that we're confident in the coming kingdom right now. Right now. St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, great, um, great mind of the church, and we're still benefiting from him. He lived and, and was converted from a wild life uh, in, the, uh, third, in the 300s, mid-300s A.D. Uh, brilliant, brilliant guy. I mean, if you love, I mean, John Calvin owes everything to, to, to Augustine. Augustine has a great illustration of what it looks like to believe in the coming kingdom in such a way that you're living it now, right? He says this, two cities have been formed. This is from his book, The City of God. Two cities have been formed by two loves. These are two contrasting loves, all right? The earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. That's one city. That's the city that we lament. That's the city that we look at and say, things are not right, right? Okay? That's the city that when, when you, you see the news story or when you're dealing with what blew up at work or when th- that relationship just won't get right, that's the city you're living in. It's the city of the love of self, even to the contempt of God. And yet, there's a heavenly city. And the heavenly, by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. To die to self. To live to the love of God. That's the other city. And so you can see two people, two teachers side by side. One is living in one city and the other in another city. Now! You can see people who are, are struggling in, in a relationship and, 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 and one is, has the hope, such a hope of the coming kingdom that, that they're living that hope Now! You can see uh, the way that, that someone is, is replaying something in their mind, whether it's guilt of the past, whether it's something that's blowing up right now, or whether it's a fear of the future, and two different people dwelling, ruminating on two different cities now, right now. For the one seeks glory from men, but the greatest glory of the other is God the witness of our conscience. The one lifts up its head in its own glory. The other says to its its God, thou art my glory and the lifter up of my head. You ever think of God as just somebody who just takes his fist and just puts it under your chin and says, lift up your head, lift up your head. Look around. The kingdom is coming. The king is crowned. Live for king and kingdom. Live the coming kingdom now. You look back and you see some of the amazing people who've done powerful things to change the world. I think of three. Let's think of three real quick that have lived in the kingdom that is coming now. I think of Wilberforce. I think of Teresa. Some, some people refer to her as, as Mother Teresa. And I think of Martin Luther King Jr. Those three people 
They lived in such a way that, 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 that when, when there was no peace in their quiet, when something would replay in their mind, when something would blow up, or when, when they were concerned. Wilberforce was concerned about the slave trade and for his entire life. He wasn't like looking for the quick fix. He wasn't saying, this has got to, this has got to be uh, turned about by next week. He, he had such confidence in the coming kingdom that he was able to be in the house, the, the, the parliament in England, dealing with insults uh, about his faith, dealing with uh, threats because uh, he stood against uh, something that supported slavery, that supported the economic framework of the time. And yet over the course of his life, to live the kingdom now in such a way, to live in that city of God, not city of man, in such a way that people would listen to him, that people eventually began to see what he was saying, that people respected him even though they feared what he stood for because he knew what he stood for and didn't just stand against as somebody who was afraid or feeling guilty or just mad about the, the state of the world as it is. Teresa, Mother Teresa, why would she go and scoop people up who, not worried about the repercussions about her own reputation. Why would, did she seek out the last and the least and the lost? This you know, four foot, two inch uh, powerhouse of a woman just going and pulling people up out of the gutter and saying, we have a place for you. And, and, and living her life in such a way, in such a humble way, pouring it out and pouring it out and pouring it out. She had strength to give because she was living in the kingdom now. Martin Luther King Jr., even, you know, one of his quotations is, you know, if you've got nothing to die for, you've got nothing to live for. Willing to die. Somebody who looked out at America and didn't see black and white, somebody who looked out at America and didn't say, say, you know, we need this particular group to be lifted up. He was living in the kingdom. And he said, you know what? In elevating, in elevating some, we all get elevated. He positioned his message in such a way to see the whole, not just the part, not to put everybody in competition, not to create deeper divisions, not to, to moan about the state of things are, but to see a possibility where in that dream speech, there was something better coming. There was a kingdom that was coming and possible now. Martin Luther King Jr. said the ark of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. That to me doesn't sound like somebody ruminating on the past. That to me doesn't sound like somebody who's just worried about the, the next flashpoint political issue that's coming up. This, this to me doesn't, it doesn't sound like somebody who's, who's just afraid of the future, but brings the strength of the kingdom into the moment. What if? What if you and I lived and responded, not with quick fixes, not with herd instincts? What if you and I lived in such a way that we had this sense of belonging to king and kingdom? What if we 
really belonged to the king now? What if we really, when we prayed thy kingdom come, we knew we belonged to it already? What if? How would you respond differently in that relationship? How would you respond differently in that conversation? How would you respond differently under a sense of threat or concern for the next turn in our public discourse? How would you respond differently to live in the kingdom that is coming, knowing that you live there already in the city of God, not the city of man? close with this great prayer. Lord, give me the serenity, the peace and the quiet to change those things that I can, to leave aside those things that I cannot change and give me the wisdom to know the difference. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the kingdom of God in our midst, even if it's just a mustard seed in somebody's mind and heart in this room tonight, even if it's just a, if it's just a little bit of yeast, Lord, and for e- every one of us to, to let that kingdom that's coming work its way through the whole dough of life, to let that mustard seed grow and take over the whole garden of life. Lord, that's... <laughs> That's the seed of the Christ child in the Bethlehem manger. That's that's the seed of thy kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.